Hey, what's up, composers? Tyson Kazare here with the Video Game Composer Podcast, sharing tips, strategies, and stories to help you on your way to becoming a full-time video game music composer. Today, we have a cool interview episode with game developer Jack Breen. Jack Breen is a game developer, but he also made all the music for his own game. He is working on the game Gigasword. It's currently on its last few days on Kickstarter, and so you'll learn and hear all about the game today in this interview. It's a really cool game, cool idea, but we get to hear about a game developer's perspective on music and on making their own music for the game. He's got a lot of cool ideas and insights and viewpoints, and I think you're really going to enjoy this episode. Let's get to it. Hey, what's up, everybody? I'm here with Jack Breen, uh, the game developer, the creator of Gigasword. Say, uh, say what's up, Jack. Hey, guys. It's me, Jack. I am the sole developer of Gigasword, which is now on Kickstarter. Thank you. So um, this is kind of a, a rare opportunity for us, or it's the first time for us on the podcast to have someone who is a musician and a composer but also a game developer. So Jack did, he created this game, Gigasword. Which, is today the last day of the Kickstarter, or is it? So it ends, so today's Monday, and it ends uh, Thursday at noon, so it's really going to be like probably Wednesday night that we see a lot of the uh, last-minute traction come in, hopefully. Okay, cool. Okay, so he's he uh, is the developer of this game, and he also composed all the music. So this is kind of... Uh, this is a first for us where we get someone that's on the development side as well as the music side and the scoring side. To start off, Jack, can you just tell us how you got started in games and also in music? Like, what's your background on the game side and the music side? So in terms of making video games, it's actually just what I've always wanted to do. Um, I was introduced, you know, I've been playing games. My, my Me and my older brother grew up just playing, you know, uh, Nintendo and PlayStation 1 and Sega Genesis. And uh, um, I, so I've just always wanted to do it ever since I learned that it was an occupation that, you, that somebody could pursue. Um, and I was kind of always into drawing and making up stories and characters and stuff like that. So it kind of just, I guess everything just kind of worked out that way. Um, in terms of music, I... Uh, started playing piano when I was like, I don't know, maybe like seven or eight. And, you know, I didn't take lessons or anything. It was just something that I enjoyed doing. Um, but my introduction to actually um, composing was, um, <laughs> so I don't know if you've ever heard of a game called WarioWare DIY, but that uh -huh. war, so that WarioWare game came with like, um, or did you ever play Mario Paint? Yeah, yeah. So you know how? So I haven't played that one, but I understand that that game had like its own music composer in it. Mm -hmm. So WarioWare had basically the same type of thing where you could just like kind of click and drag like notes and choose instruments and stuff. So um, yeah, I would like play around with that and make my own songs in there, and then you know at the same time sometimes I would also compose stuff on the piano, which I you know wasn't very good at that time. It was just me sort of as a kid playing around. Um, and then when Shovel Knight was coming out, um, Jake Kaufman released a video where he was uh, 
showcasing one of the songs from Shovel Knight in Famitracker, which is the software that he used to make the chiptune music. And I was like, oh, I have to get my hands on that software. Like, that looks like so much fun. Because, you know, I always wanted to make, you know, retro style stuff. So I downloaded Famitracker, started making music. This is when, this was like high school at this point, uh, like 2015, 2014. And uh, so I just started making stuff and, uh, yeah, I don't know. The rest is history. Um, I, I, making the music is probably like you know my favorite part of game development. You know, I mean, I love every part of it, but um, I've just always been, uh, you know, I, I'm a, you know, just I'm just such a fan of like getting to create the each each atmospheric track for each area and like create the theme. And I'm also a huge metalhead, so I love making like intense boss themes and stuff like that and kind of channeling that side of things. Sweet. That's awesome. That's awesome. Yeah, that's that's one of my favorite things too, especially like from my metalhead days and high school. So I went yeah. to so I went to high school in Vermont, so in New England with you, but a different state. And mm-hmm. it was a small high school, but everyone just called me the metalhead. I was like yeah. the sole metalhead. Um, yeah. So I also love boss themes and doing all these weird time signatures and stuff. But were you um, were you self? You said you you'd play the piano. Were you self-taught, or were you, did your parents like make you take piano lessons? for so long no, as a kid <laughs> no i just did it myself they never they asked me if i wanted to take lessons and i i kind of figured that if i did that that it would make it less fun and turn it more into like work and so i didn't want to do that i was just like no this is just something i kind of do for fun and um yeah so i you know i've always kind of um had like the like the musical ear to be able to like you know figure out tones and so, like like if i hear a song i can figure out how to play like the notes on the piano or whatever so um that has kind of, that kind of helped my my way of learning because if I heard a song I could you know figure it out on piano like in a in a simplified form when I was younger, um, so yeah I've been playing for quite a few years at this point. What are some of your favorite metal bands? Uh, so I'm big into the gent scene. Uh, I'm, it's it's gotten very varied in recent years. Um, so when I was in, I'll kind of go back in time. So like I grew up on Lincoln Park and all that kind of stuff. Uh, my brother was into like the new metal age and like sort of the heavier stuff as he got older. Um, when I was in high school, my favorite band was Nonpoint, which they were like older at that point in time. But I I, I went back and you know their their albums from like 2004, 2006 were some of my favorites. And then they're actually still making music today, so some of their newer stuff was actually really good as well. And uh, I was also being into the symphonic metal scene, so oh, Nightwish, Epica. Uh, Lacuna Coil isn't really symphonic, but like they're another one of my favorites. Uh, Delane, they're great. So that was like my high school phase, and then college was like Tesseract, Monuments, Periphery. Uh, one of my favorites now is Fit for an Autopsy, which they don't really fit into Gent, but that's just beside the point. Um, who else? Meshuggah. Uh, that's just to name a few. I mean, there there are so many. There are so many awesome like up and coming bands that I'm so excited about. Um, there's a band called DVSR that's like rap metal that I've really gotten into from Australia. They're like really really good. There's another band called Time the Valuator that like they released their debut in 2018, I believe, and at the time it was like the best first impression I had ever had from an album. Um, like it was just. It's one of those albums that you sit there and listen to and you're like, I can't believe that somebody made something that is 
like so perfectly tailored to my tastes like it was yeah so oh that's cool. uh yeah no i'm really into like the uh combination of like you know heavy gent guitar and like high singing and stuff like that that's cool i'll have to check those guys yeah. out jumping tracks a little bit before we get into gigasword is this your first game or have you made other games before this uh i've made other stuff i i, I made uh this is my first like commercial release like my first major game uh, everything that I made before this either didn't come out because I didn't finish it or um, was just something very small. So the only other two things that I've actually released were um, like small like arcade style games on itch.io that were both free to download. Um, so yeah, I've always been like trying to make something as full-fledged as Gigasword, but um, you know, in the past I just wasn't you know ready to do it yet. I would always hit some sticking point. Uh, so I started Gigasword in 2019 uh, because at the time I was I was trying to make like a procedurally generated game and it just wasn't working out because I just couldn't figure it out and I was like man I really need to like stop and make something that I can handle at my skill level and uh, Gigasword was actually that con the concept of the game I had come up with a few years earlier so it was always kind of on the back burner for me and uh, I was like, oh, well, I could return to that idea and do that. So um, that's kind of how it started was, like, I, I knew that it was something that at this point in my life that was, like, in my, like, it would be challenging, but it, there wasn't anything in Gigasword that I didn't know how to program or didn't know how to make, you know? So I, uh, I you know, and the scope has kind of increased over time, but generally the, the concept now is exactly the same as it was when I started it. So, um, yeah, I've, I've just kind of been, you know lucky enough that I haven't run into any major roadblocks while while making it and uh, it's gone really well. So you talked a little bit about the technical side of how you got started into to Gigasword like wait do I say Giga or Giga? I'd say both now okay. because <laughs> I usually I, I usually say Gigasword and then one of my friends was like there's no way it's pronounced like that and I was like I think it's like a tomato tomato kind of thing and he was like no no like you're totally making that up and so now I'm, <laughs> now I'm self-conscious about it and I don't know which one to say. <laughs> okay um, well I won't think too much about it and I'll just say whichever one. Um, I'm just saying both at this point to appease okay. everyone. <laughs> okay cool so uh, from a technical standpoint, you wanted to tackle something that you you figured you could do and you wouldn't get stuck on. But you said mm -hmm. a few years earlier is when you came up with the idea for Gigasword. What can you tell us the story of Gigasword, like how you came up with the idea and just how this how it came together? Yeah, so this is a really funny story. So I keep joking that I owe the entire creation of this game to one of my friends. So we were <clears throat> this was like twenty. 15 or 2016 we were sitting in his dorm so i went to school uh for for a short period of time at becker college in worcester which is uh it's actually closed now but at the time it was one of the top game design schools in the area so i went there after high school and i met a bunch of for, for the first time in my life i met other people that wanted to make games so that was really cool and uh one of my best friends who I, i'm still friends with today um we were sitting in his dorm, and at, at the time when we were in school, he thought that he also wanted to pursue indie dev, um, which now he's kind of... He, he, he hates programming, so he doesn't want to do that, so he shifted gears, and he does uh, all like artistic stuff. 
Um, but at the time when we were in college, um, he would come up with game ideas and, and whatever. he still comes up with the game ideas today and then gives them to me so that I can make them. But um, at the time, he, he would just kind of like throw around ideas for, for projects that uh, he thought that maybe someday he would want to pursue or that we could pursue together or whatever. Um, so we're sitting in his dorm and he was like, yeah, I've always thought that it would be cool to make a platformer with a buster sword, like with buster sword combat. And uh, that was all he said, but I was like, I kind of just thought about it. I was like, oh, I bet there's something cool that you could do with that. Like, I bet there's something more there than just like basic, you know, whatever. And so I came up with the idea of putting the sword in the ground to be able to jump higher. And so I drew, I, I, so the first thing that I ever did for this game was I, I it was like that same day that, that he said that and then it gave me that idea. I drew this picture of like, it was like a stick figure with the big sword and then there's a door, and then there's like a, a platform over the door with a lever on it, so you have to pull the lever to open the door. And it shows that like, he's not high, he, he can't jump high enough to get the lever, so you put the sword in the ground so that you can get up there and pull it. But when you pull the lever, the door opens and like this monster, this big like, Rancor, Star Wars looking monster comes out, and then he's like walking around down there near the sword, and so now the challenge is that you have to like, get back down there and fight him, but that, like, your sword is down there with him. Um, so that was just, like, the first diagram that I drew that kind of, like, portrayed that concept of, like, oh, you leave the sword behind to jump higher, but then it's like, causes you issues, or you have to figure out how to get back to it, whatever. And so then in the later years, as I kind of returned to the idea, and, and I would just kind of randomly, you know, make notes about it or come up with ideas for it, um, and I came up with the ideas of, like, the the elevator blocks and the crank platforms and just different things that you could stick the sword into to move it around. Um, and I think I actually made an early prototype in like 2017. It was just like all squares moving around and just like the basic concept. And um, just to like put the idea down. But I, yeah, like I said, I didn't actually start the game until 2019, which uh, began the same way. I just blocked everything out and, and made the main mechanic and just played with ideas. And once I had all those like level mechanics in, like those puzzle pieces, uh, then I just, I, I, I knew that it was something that I could run with, and I, I started coming up with, with cooler ideas for how the sword could interact with things, and I'm still coming up with more ideas now, because I want every area to use the sword in a different way, and to, uh, for all those puzzles to be very varied, and to make people, uh, you know, really think in different ways about it. Um, so yeah, it's evolved a lot, and uh, but it started just like that, like me and my friend just joking around, and he was like, yeah, it'd be cool if there was a game with a big sword, and then that was the first idea that came to me, and it ended up being the idea that I ran with. That's cool. That reminds me of, uh, I read this Stephen King book once on creative writing, and mm. he talked about how for him, writing a story is like uncovering dinosaur bones you dig for a while and then you find like a little nub of something and then you uncover it more and more and you kind of reveal the story or you reveal this dinosaur and he said he'll always start his books off with a what if what if vampires invaded salem massachusetts or what if there was a dog with rabies or whatever and and then his job is not to make up a story, but just uncover the story that's there. And that's kind of what it sounded like. Your friend gave you this what if, what if you could do a platformer with a buster sword, and then kind of what the game has turned into, where there's all these puzzle elements where you have to leave the sword and come back, 
is you uncovering that what if and kind of uncovering that game. Yeah, it's a lot like that. And <clears throat> excuse me, <clears throat> I've kind of said to people in the past that um, this game has kind of designed itself in a way. Not to say that it's been easy by any means, because it certainly hasn't. But that, uh, yeah, it is kind of like that, that once you come up with the idea of like, you can either put the sword in the ground and leave it behind, and that changes how the character acts, or you put it into a, an object that does something, and um, you know from those two ideas it just branches off into all these different possibilities. And um, so yeah, it kind of has um, developed. It's like it, it kind of has been like a like a, a trail of breadcrumbs in that way of. Uh, just exploring this idea to the fullest extent and uh you know you, you know you certainly don't want it to get old as the game like progresses and you don't want it to get boring for the player so you have to come up with like ideas that are totally different so in the beginning it was funny because i planned on i always plan on having like six different areas and i was like okay i just need to come up with like a mechanic for each one and so one area was going to focus on the elevator blocks one area was going to focus on the crank platforms uh, one was going to focus on like the downward blocks or whatever and it's like you know but that would be way too simple so now all three of those things are all just like basic tools that are throughout the whole game and the actual like level mechanics that uh, are somewhat specific to each area are going to be much more unique um, which so in the demo it's pretty simple like it's those push blocks and those like respawner things that respawn the blocks to their positions um and those will appear in other areas at times to be combined with other mechanics as you go on but like so those are pretty simple because it's from the first area and then as you go through the rest of the game you're going to see that it's going to get much more unique and then those mechanics are going to be combined with the items that you get like the uh you know, like there's the charge attack and the grappling hook, and then you can use you can not only use those for their intended purposes, but you might be able to use those with other mechanics that you've already been using in the past, and now you can kind of do it in new ways. So the whole game is very, very Zelda inspired in that way. And uh, you know, I, I I refer to Gigasword as a Metroidvania because it is, but um, Zelda is honestly its biggest source of inspiration, and I didn't really realize that until halfway through development, because it was all just kind of very subconscious. Um, but I think Zelda is probably the best way for people to look at this game. Um, just Zelda in a Metroidvania platformer format, hmm. and then with a bit of Dark Souls thrown in, which also wasn't very intentional. That's just, I'm a huge Dark Souls fan, so that was more subconscious as well. Um, I didn't plan on relating this game to Dark Souls at all, but when I brought it to PAX East in 2020, a ton of people said that it reminded them of that, so I kind of just ran with it. Oh, cool. That's, that's really interesting. How did, how did the music fit in with the rest of the game development? As far as, you know, you've got puzzles that you've got to create, you've got things you've got to, compo uh, to code, you, you're making the art. Would you, like, design a level or a stage and then compose the music for that level? Or, yeah, how did music fit into all of that? It's very freeform for me. Um, I never really like force myself to sit down and write a track unless the the only time that I have done that recently is that I I redid the music 
for the first part of the demo. Um, it's very similar. I just kind of added a separate section on the end. And like, you know, I needed that in time for the demo, so I had to sit down and, and, and do that. But most of the songs, most of the music, I don't like really put on any to-do list. It's just, I, I kind of go for it when I'm ready because the inspiration has to be there. But it's interesting because a lot of the music for Gigasword was actually finished before I even started because a lot of the tracks were for other games in the past. Um, so before I was making Gigasword, I was attempting to make a top-down Zelda-style game called Tribus, uh, which I have some footage of on my YouTube channel, and it was basically going to be kind of like a Link to the Past, with, uh, but just modernized and smaller. Um, and I just had some issues with programming. You know, at, at that time, I just wasn't skilled enough to program uh, some of the things that I would have needed for the project, so I, I you know, walked away from it for the time being. But um, I had written, like, almost all of the music for that project, and all of it was music that I really enjoyed. So I was like, I don't want that music to go to waste, and pretty much all of it would still fit in Gigasword. So the music um, that you hear in the monastery in Gigasword, the, the library, you know, area of the demo, uh, that music was from Tribus, and it was meant to go in this like it was meant to go in the first dungeon of that game which would have been like mirror themed like mirrors and like roots and mushrooms everywhere um i forget what i called the place at the time but um so that music is from that project and a ton of the other music for gigasword is from that project uh this is well it's not really a spoiler because nobody has heard the track yet but the final boss music the, fi the final boss music in Gigasword is uh, a song that I wrote in like 2017 for like a game that I had been working on during high school um, or I started it in high school and then worked on it for a bit longer it might be even older than that because I think I walked away from that project in 2016 so um yeah, like a ton of the tracks in Gigasword are from all over the place, just different songs that I have held on to throughout my career. And, uh, but ton of, uh, you know, a few of them are brand new as well. Um, there's a song called Submerged in Memory that I have on the uh, Kickstarter page that, that people can listen to, which is the music that is used for the like water area in Gigasword. And uh, that's a brand new track, and it's definitely one of my favorites that I've done. Um, so most of the music is done. I think I still have to write a few more themes, and I, I definitely have more boss music to write, and more like cinematic, like like the cutscene kind of style music, like that stuff still needs to be done. Um, but yeah, for me, it's very just like I just go for it when I when I if I'm working on that kind of content, like if I'm making the cutscene, then I'll be like, oh well, I need music for this, so I'll start thinking about that, and then once the idea comes to me, I'll just go for it, you know. How much? How much music will you have by the end, do you think? How many tracks? Um, well, so there's... It's going to be a decent amount, because there's like seven major areas, I think, and those all have their own music. Each boss has its own music. There's stuff that happens at the beginning, like the tutorial section and whatever, and the epilogue, so... Uh, uh, I don't know, at least 20 or 25 or so, something like that, maybe 30. Oh, cool. That's awesome. And um, you talked a little bit about uh, your influences for metal music for boss battle mm -hmm. themes. What are some other influences on the music for you? And you also talked about that knit game that I forgot what it was called, but in the Mario Paint genre, um, oh, just yeah, like yeah. The, the Fami Tracker kind of approach. 
What were some other influences on the creation of the music and the sound? Definitely anything uh, that Jay Kaufman writes, so Shovel Knight, Shantae. Um, in terms of like my favorite chiptune music, um, some of these will be more obscure than others, but growing up, some of my favorite soundtracks were um, Road Rash on the Sega Genesis. Oh, um, sweet. Ninja Turtles 3 on the NES. I think that's called The Manhattan Project. Um, that game has excellent music. Uh, Mutant Muds is a like a recent 8-bit game, but that game has really good music. Um, what else did I grow up listening to? Um, <clears throat> obviously all the Zelda music, you know. Um, yeah, it's, it's definitely mostly Shovel Knight, I would say, because that gave me an idea for how chiptune music could be composed successfully. Like, you know, Jay Kaufman works so many, like, sub-melodies into his songs that all work so well. And it was very eye-opening, because when you go back and listen to, like, you know, Mega Man music or something like that, it's all very good, but there's not much depth to it, because they weren't working with very many channels, so they mm -hmm. kind of just had to focus on one main melody and uh for shovel knight they're working with three more instrument tracks than what a normal nes game would have been working with but even if they weren't doing that i feel like just the way that jake composes is that he like just weaves these melodies together and uh you know it sounds like you're listening to like a full band or a full orchestra in each song so i've tried to sort of learn from what he's done without copying his style you know he has a very distinct style where everything almost sounds very orchestral or uh like a like a like a ballroom or something and so for me instead i i, I focus on making sounds that are um you know i picture a lot of the gig store music like if it was played in real life that it would be on like violin or strings or something like that and uh and then the, the boss music would just be straight metal songs so uh yeah, I try to just emulate those like feelings and the, the stuff that I come from, you know. How did you how did you make the game? Or not how did you, but what are you making the game in? Are you making it in Unity? Are you making it in Unreal? I'm making it in Game Maker Studio actually. Oh, okay. So are you are you imp how are you implementing the music? Is everything loops and you're just putting the tracks in or is there more complexity to the implementation? No, it's pretty simple. I export it as a as a wave file, and then I think it gets converted to OGG or whatever mm -hmm. um, when you put it through GameMaker. Um, getting the music to loop, especially if you have an intro section that isn't supposed to loop, is actually really complicated because you have to program that yourself. I don't know if that's I don't know if Unity makes that any easier or whatever, but in GameMaker you have to uh, program it yourself to to like go through the whole song and then cut that intro off and, and loop correctly. So that's been kind of a challenge, but I, I did end up figuring it out. And uh, But no, it's it's pretty simple overall to import the music. Cool. Awesome. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, I don't know how it is either because I never do that side of it, but mm -hmm. I'm often explaining that to people uh, that are working in Unity, like, okay, this track only plays once, it's the intro, and then you need to be able to loop this. But yeah. they've been able to do it, so I don't know how difficult it is or not. In Unity, um, have you felt limited at all? Limited at all in Game Maker, with when trying to implement the music, uh, or was that the biggest challenge? Is the intro um, thing you just mentioned? 
That was definitely the biggest challenge musically. Um, I mean, you can do, you know, some people, a lot of people are surprised when I say that I use Game Maker because uh, I think it gets a kind of a bad reputation in uh, compared to Unity. Um, just because some things in Game Maker aren't like as automated as they are in Unity. I've worked with Unity a little bit. I'm not, you know, too familiar with it. But um, in the experience that I have with Unity, I have seen that um, there are a lot of like presets available that just make some things a lot more streamlined than they are in Game Maker. But I feel like Game Maker, because you have to kind of make everything yourself, it gives you more control, which I like. Um, because Unity is weird, it's like, if you want to start like a like a platformer, uh, you can just like upload, like, you can just like choose the platformer, like, 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 um, like preset or whatever, or like if you, or like the controller, or if you're making a first person shooter, there's like the first person shooter controller that you just like drag in, and then like, it's just already there for you, and that's always been so weird to me, because like, there's nothing like that in Game Maker. Like, you have to make everything from scratch. So mm -hmm. I go in Unity, and it's like, oh, like, first-person shooter, you click this thing, and you just already have, like, a player character that works. And it's like, man, this feels so weird. This feels like I'm using somebody else's code right now. Like, it's just so <laughs> odd to me. Um, but, you know, in reality, that's probably way more convenient and streamlined, and it probably makes a lot more sense. So I think, you know, for people going from Unity to Game Maker, they would probably be appalled at how much work they had to do just to get simple things working, because you just have to make everything. And that, w that would seem weird, like, what? Like, I gotta, I'm supposed to do all this myself. I'm just like, mm -hmm. almost feel like a drag and drop template kind of thing. So with the music, I've worked with game develop, most of the game developers I worked with really like love music and know the value of music. But I know that there's some game developers out there that it's just not like on their radar. It's kind of an afterthought or I even worked with a client once where uh, the CEO was like, we don't need to pay for music. We can just get free music off the internet. And the mm. producer had to really like talk him into hiring me to just even do a little bit of music. What I wanted to ask you was, I'm assuming that music is pretty important to you based on our, our conversation, but I wanted to know why is music important to you or what, what do you feel like the impact of music in a game is? It's interesting because I don't know if everybody feels the same way about it. I would assume that you and I probably feel the same way about it as musicians. But for me, the music in a game can be the absolute deciding factor between if I enjoy it or not. And that has been a very subconscious thing to... Or maybe not subconscious probably isn't the right word. It's been a very subtle thing for me to realize because, you know, most music in games is like, it's fine, right? Like, it's not very often that you play a game and you're like, oh, this music is terrible. Like, it's usually at least acceptable. So, but that's the worst part because then you don't notice it um, if it's just acceptable. And so you're playing this game and it's not like emotionally pulling you in. Because there's two things that are going to emotionally connect you to a game. The characters, or story, you could rope those into the same category, and the music. That's it. Like, you can love an art style, you can love mechanics, but that's not going to emotionally attach you to what's going on. It's just story and music. And roping people in, getting people connected, invested, with a story is very difficult. Like, you're asking people to care about these characters that they've never met before, that they don't know anything about, 
and you know you for an exposition to be impactful so let's say you know let's say like the last of us right so the first last of us uh spoilers for anybody that hasn't played it um you know so that that game opens with with joel and his daughter sarah and the zombie apocalypse starts and then they have to run out of the city and then sarah is killed by a soldier and that's joel's you know backstory is that he lost his daughter at the start of the apocalypse and you know so that's standard for most games is that like 10 minutes in 15 minutes in you're given this emotional exposition and you're expected to care at that point and so that's not a lot of time to get people on board with what you're giving them so no matter how you know and that comes all down to dialogue and character design and, and so many different things but all of it is really really tough to capture and i mean the triple a's the best game designers in the world still struggle with this because it's a subjective thing some people are going to take those characters and and love them from day one and some people are going to get through the whole game and they'll never have cared it's just completely it completely varies and for music it's the same thing but the music is going to you know, I personally have been pulled into games in their first five seconds by the first bars of its music. Um, Celeste is a great example of that. Mm -hmm. Like, from the moment I turned on Celeste, I was like, I'm going to love this game. Because um, just the atmosphere is there. Um, right. Lena Rain is another one of my musical heroes. You know, that soundtrack is perfect. Um, so that's the challenge of that, is like, you have to pull people in and you have to do it fast, um, you know. And uh, for me, yeah, I think there are games in my past that I enjoy way more than I had any right to just because of the music. A good example of that is um, Fantasy Star Online for the GameCube, or well, the, the GameCube is what I played it on. Um, that's the only Fantasy Star game that I've that I've played. But um, you know, it was a very JRPG, you know. Uh, style game which i don't play a lot of like it almost had like mmo style combat which i don't play those kinds of games at all um usually uh but my brother and i grew up playing that game and it's like going back to it the combat is very clunky uh a lot of the ways that it works are very dated but that is one of my favorite games of all time because the music is godlike and there's never been another soundtrack quite like that one just the 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 instruments i forget who the composer is but the instruments that are used and the atmosphere that's created is so like alien and also so beautiful and uh you know i grew up playing that game back when i was like six or seven years old or so with my older brother so i have so many nostalgic memories attached to it and like that soundtrack in particular I've grown up on and we keep we'll like plug in our GameCube and go back and play that game every few years and just turn it on and have a blast with it and it's like if this was any other game like this I probably wouldn't enjoy it because the combat doesn't necessarily feel great uh, you know there's not like a ton of content in the game you can get through it pretty quickly if you're a high-level character uh, there's a lot that you could critique is what i'm trying to say but like i just love that game to death and like the the music and sound is i think a huge part of that and that's a good example of a game that i personally think that i would have looked over if not for the soundtrack so some people probably aren't as impacted by it as i am and, and maybe it's because we're musicians maybe it's just because different people enjoy different things um but, you know, Shovel Knight's the same way. Like, you turn on the first level, and you're like, okay, yeah, I'm going to love this. And uh, and then you do, right? So, yeah. um, 
Yeah, it's 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 very. The soundtrack is probably like fifty percent of my enjoyment in a game, uh, give or take. I mean, that's tough to quantify, but like give or take, it's it's probably half the battle for me personally. And uh, yeah, no, I just think it's wicked important. That's awesome. Yeah, I'm totally in agreement with you. But I really love how you how you articulated it in that. Um, and I haven't thought about it that way, but it's so right on that a game or a movie or whatever, they're trying to get you as fast as possible emotionally invested. And that's a big ask to ask someone to like really invest emotionally. Like that's what you're doing when you get in a relationship with someone is you're investing in each other emotionally and trying to do it within, you know, the first 15 minutes or five minutes or 30 seconds or whatever um that is a huge ask and it's amazing how it's really like you said it's the characters but also the music that can really drive that emotional anchor and and help to to make that happen Uh, Mm -hmm. so i really like that's a cool idea when is gigasword coming out do you know uh my plan is late next year so like quarter three or quarter four of 2023 it's tough to tell uh it could come out sooner than that or later it's it's uh but that's my estimation right now gotcha and do you have you thought about what's next after gigasword at all yet oh i have a ton of ideas that's all i do in my spare time is come up with game ideas and some of them are 2d some of them are 3d i have no idea what i'll pursue um if I move to 3D, I am going to start using Unity, so there would probably be some some uh, interim time where I would be getting familiar with that engine. Um, I have a lot of really cool ideas that I'm very excited about, and I have no idea what I'm going to end up wanting to pursue once the game is over. So, Gotcha. Cool. Um, so I kind of have a guess what your answer is going to be to my next question, but I'm going to ask it anyway. So what is your what's your career trajectory are you wanting to be like a solo dev indie game developer moving forward or are you wanting to release some games and then move into triple a um it's tough to say i mean i feel like i'm always gonna want to i have you know i love coming up with stories and i have stories that i want to tell so I feel like I'm always going to be, I'm always going to want to be in a position where I have the control to make my own projects and work on my own things. Um, for the foreseeable future, I do picture myself just being a solo developer. But you know, if if Studio Hybrid takes off and if if I'm fortunate enough to have that success, then you know, I'll I'll probably end up bringing on team members and end up kind of growing it into its own bigger, you know, more evolved studio. Um, and uh, yeah, so it's 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 tough to see, but you know, I, I know for a fact that just the way that I am is that I've always just wanted to kind of forge my own path, just because I have so many things that I want to create, and I want to have the free the, I want to have the freedom to, to make them. The last thing I wanted to ask you about before we wrap up is, it's been cool talking to you about the music and my audience is mainly composers, so that's what we think about a lot. But another thing that I try to talk a lot about is the business side of things. Your Kickstarter is going really well. You've raised thousands and thousands of dollars, and you've had hundreds of backers. And so what I wanted to know, a lot of us struggle with obscurity and 
just not enough people knowing about us or the music we're making or the games we're involved in or, or whatever it is. And so I just wanted to ask you for some insights on what you've done to build a community, to get an audience, to influence hundreds of people, to invest in your game, and just what you've done to battle obscurity and get yourself out there. Yeah, it's a very good question because it's really tough. Um, I've had my YouTube channel since 2018, and uh, that's kind of been that between that and my Twitter account. Those were kind of my main two ways that I was growing my audience. Was that you know I would post about game development on Twitter, and then on my YouTube channel I would try to post once a month or once every two months with uh, episodes of Hybrid Plays where I would um, I don't know if you've seen the channel, but um, it's where I. So I basically like play a certain indie game and then kind of like break down the design behind it. So it's they're kind of like video essays. Oh, cool. um, so I've been doing that since 2018, and uh, that's gone really well. I have we're actually almost up to uh, 1,700 subscribers right now as of this month. Oh, cool. So um, yeah, no, it's been it's been great, and uh, people love it. So it's been a lot of fun doing the channel. Um, so, you know, going into Gigasword, that was the way that I was growing my audience was that, you know, I had people watching me on YouTube and then I've been on Twitter for years just posting about game development. So, you know, and, uh, you know, neither of those platforms I had like a large following on, but, uh, you know, I, going into the Kickstarter, I, I figured that I was ready to, you know, I was like, okay, enough people are here to support, enough people know about this, I can launch this Kickstarter and we'll see what happens. Um, and then launching the Kickstarter, and then as the as the days went on, and as I started comparing my numbers to other games that w- that were on Kickstarter that are that are on Kickstarter at the same time as me, you know, I started to realize I was like, man, like you know, all these guys are way ahead of me. Like I thought that I was like ready, but you know, um, so many other people on Kickstarter, you know, are way ahead of me in terms of Twitter followers or Discord members or whatever, and. Uh, so it's kind of the feeling of like you think that you're ready and then you step in the ring with like the with the bigger dogs and you're like oh like they've done like i wasn't like you know not that i wasn't ready but like oh they, they've done so much more than me and i should have uh like prepared for that um so i think that's been the biggest challenge with the kickstarter is that like the people that find gigasword tend to really take to it very well and love it which is i'm very fortunate for um and the support that we've gotten so far has been amazing and i'm super super thankful for it um uh we're heading into the end of the kickstarter right now and it's looking like it's going to be kind of like a tight squeeze and i think that the, the the biggest mistake that i've made is just that i didn't market this game uh as strong as I could have earlier. So like this whole month I've been emailing streamers and uh, posting on all these different forums and stuff and and doing all these things that I should have been doing earlier in the process. Um, And so at some point I'm probably gonna make a a YouTube video about like what I've learned from doing this campaign and the advice that I have for other people making campaigns. But um, my my the biggest thing that i've taken away is that um you know yeah basically just what i just said is like all that stuff that i'm doing now i should have done months in the months leading up to the kickstarter instead of waiting to do them after i launched it um because the game has amassed a, a, a very decent following at this point. I think we've got a thousand wish lists on Steam, which is pretty good. Um, you know, like you said, there are hundreds of backers. Uh, 
$25,000 raised. I mean, that's, that's, that's a ton. That's awesome. Um, so yeah, I just kind of wish that I had, had reached out to people sooner so that that same audience that's there now would have been there at the beginning to give the campaign like a, a bigger boost as soon as I launched it, uh, which, you know, now it's more so been just like this steady, slow increase. And I'm hoping that we can, uh, cross the, the finish line in time in these next three days. Um, I don't know what's going to happen, but you know, whatever happens, uh, I've definitely learned a ton and I have a ton of positive feedback that I can take away from the experience. Um, but no, I mean, there, it's funny because I grew up as the only person that I, I didn't know anyone else that wanted to make video games growing up. Like I was the only one in, you know, my schools and whatever that had any interest in that. And it wasn't until I got to college that I met other people that wanted to do it. And then, then you get into game development and it feels like everybody in the world is making a video game. It's like, <laughs> oh my God, how do I fight through all this noise? It's impossible sometimes. Um, so it's definitely really tough, and I'm still learning a lot about how to market the game and how to market myself and how to, you know, uh, there's a lot to learn. So, yeah. Cool. Yeah, that's so true. I think it's probably true for any creative industry, um, but it definitely feels the same way in composing as well, where it just feels like there's so much noise to try to cut through and, and to rise above. Um, mm -hmm. So it's been awesome to hear from someone that's in the trenches, that's making it happen, that's cutting through the noise, that's getting followers, that's getting support. Um, this, I think that's a really good transition to, to ask you to tell us what next. How can people support you? How can people follow you? How can people get more involved, learn more about you, get involved in Gigasword and all that? So, uh, like I said before, the Kickstarter is going until, so I'm Eastern uh, Standard Time, so for me, the campaign ends at noon on Thursday, so like I said, like Wednesday night is probably like the last night for most people to pledge. So if you want to come support the Kickstarter and uh, try to get this game funded before it's over, it would be a ginormous help. Uh, in terms of staying updated on the game, uh, I am Hybrid Plays on YouTube and hybrid games on Twitter. And uh, yeah, if you find any of my, you know, for anybody that goes on YouTube and watches any of my videos, I usually have links to all my other stuff in the descriptions. Um, so Gigasword has an official Discord server now, which is another great way to stay updated. Um, so yeah, whatever platform works best for people, I'm pretty much everywhere at this point, especially Twitter and Discord. So um, yeah, but the, the Kickstarter is the big thing. You know, if we can get that funding, then uh, it'll just streamline the rest of development. And uh, hopefully I'll be able to finish this thing as soon as possible and get it out to people because uh, people are really looking forward to it and I'm really looking forward to finishing it. So, uh, yeah, hopefully uh, we can make it happen and we'll see what, what, uh, what unfolds in these next three days. Cool. Awesome. Well, thanks, Jack. I'll get the, after the, after this interview, after we finish our conversation, I'll get all those links from you and I'll put them in the description of this interview but it's been awesome to to chat with you and get your insights and get information about gigasword and the the music behind it and its creation and your thoughts on music and game development it's been a really great conversation so thanks so much for being here today yeah thank you so much for having me it is a it's always a pleasure to talk to other musicians and composers and uh um yeah, kind of like what you said about like you know battling through the noise. I I always I I uh, I've met a lot of game composers 
uh, doing this whole thing, and I, I always like helping those people out because, uh, yeah, I know how how much uh, traffic there is to battle through, and uh, I've met a bunch of really cool people throughout this process, and a lot of a, a lot of cool up and coming musicians and game developers and 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 YouTubers and stuff like that. So it's been an absolute blast, and uh, yeah, I'm super glad that we got to meet at Fig and have this conversation. And uh, I'll come back anytime if you have more questions or want to have a Gigasword-related update at some point in the future. Yeah, I'd love to chat again. Cool. Awesome. Thank you so much, Jack. Thank you so much, man. Bye.